Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Feasy. So I've come back from England, as I said. I'd just really like to thank Heather for holding the fort. I know it's not easy to do that. And I really watched the services last week and the week before, and I was really just so grateful for you standing up and doing that. Also, Barbara Owen, who did a fantastic job talking, didn't she, talking about the lessons of pilgrimage. I thought that was really good. And Bill Redfield as well. You know, it was great having him here for the, the weekend, and he did a fantastic job last week. So I'm incredibly grateful for all those uh, uh, people who, who, who did that. So it's good to be back. And we've got a theme of friendship uh, which we're going to be talking... I mean, at first glance, when you think friendship, you think, well, it's not a very big topic, you know. We, we might pigeonhole friendship uh, within a sort of seemingly bigger subject of relationships. You know, we might pigeonhole it somewhere between romantic love and casual acquaintances. But actually, the way I want to look at it, friendship is, is much bigger than that. Um, in his book, Anamkara... Uh, by John O'Donoghue, he says, his definition, he says, friendship is a creative and subversive force. A creative and subversive force. It claims, he says, that intimacy is the secret law of life and the universe. The human journey is a continuous act, he says, of transfiguration. If approached in friendship... The unknown, the anonymous, the negative, and the threatening gradually yield their secret affinity to us. That's lovely, that. If approached in friendship, the unknown, the anonymous, the negative, and the threatening gradually yield their secret affinity with us. Friendship, then, is not to be reduced to an exclusive or sentimental relationship. It is far more extensive and intensive a force than that. So, just to be, as we did um, uh, with pilgrimage, we weren't limited to it just being getting from place A to place B. Friendship isn't just limited to the people that we want to be nice to because they're nice to us. I think friendship is a way of defining a whole attitude to life. As well as our friendship with other people, there's also our friendship with the earth, our friendship with our souls, our friendship with the universe, our friendship with God, our friendship with our bodies, our friendship with our minds, with our senses, with our spirituality, our friendship with our consciousness and our friendship with life, and also our friendship with death. We can explore our friendship really with anything that we, we come across. And that's the sort of context that I'm looking at friendship with. We're really looking at how or if we love things. Because the word friendship comes from the German, old German word P-I-E, Preont, it, it, it's involved in, and that means loving. It is the present participle form of the word pre, which is to love. So within friendship, there's the whole concept of loving. 
So when we look at friendship, we're looking at the way we love things. Or more importantly, we're looking at if we love things. Do we love things? Now, I'm going to tell you a story now that I haven't told for a while, but those of you that have been here for eight years, while I've been here, will go, oh, I've heard this so many times before. (laughs) Mimi and Howard Ward, they can can just forgive me for this. But uh, um, it it does pertain to friendship, and that's that old story. People said it did never happen, this story, but I don't care if it never happened. It should have happened if it didn't, and, uh, and it's just such a good story. And it's the famous story about Albert Einstein. When he arrived in, in America for the first time, he stepped off the boat and a reporter went up to him and asked him, what, in your opinion, is the most important question facing humanity today? So the reporter asked Einstein that question. And Albert Einstein thought for a bit and replied, I think the most important question facing humanity today is, is the universe a friendly place or not? Is the universe a friendly place or not? This is the first most important basic question all people must answer for themselves. Because he goes on, if we decide that the universe is an unfriendly place, if it's unfriendly, then we will use all our technology, all our scientific discoveries, all our natural resources to achieve safety and power by creating bigger walls to keep out the unfriendliness and bigger weapons to destroy all that which is unfriendly. And I believe we're getting to a place where technology is powerful enough that we may either completely isolate or destroy ourselves as well in the process. So that's if we decide it is unfriendly. But if we decide the universe is neither friendly or unfriendly, you know, secondly, if it's neither friendly or unfriendly, and that God is essentially playing dice with the universe, as boys to wanton gods are we to the, you know, the Shakespeare thing, as flies to wanton boys are we to the gods, just to get that right. Um, then we are simply victims of a random toss of the dice and our lives have no real purpose or meaning. But if we decide that the universe is a friendly place, then we will use all our technology, all our scientific discoveries and all our natural resources to create tools and models for understanding the universe. Because power and safety will come through understanding its motives and its workings so that we can cooperate with it. So I think that's just a fantastic concept. You know, is it unfriendly? Is it, does it care? Or is it friendly? And the story suggests that I think our friendship with the universe is key. And what is meant by friendship here is our, our loving relationship with the universe. Which begs the question, do we have a loving relationship with the universe? To what extent do we love the universe and to what extent does the universe love us? It goes way beyond ideas we have about friendship being mutual niceness. And instead it's talking about the deepest level of support and encouragement to an end that's mutually enriching. 
And I think that's quite a good semi-definition. It's good to have a definition of friendship. I think that's quite a good semi-definition of friendship that we might use over this next eight weeks. Friendship is the deepest level of support and encouragement to an end that is mutually enriching. The deepest level of support and encouragement to an end that is mutually enriching. And I think the mutual side of this is so important. It's not just about self-sacrifice. I think the true friendship is mutually enriching. Both sides come out of friendship enriched by the experience. And so in this series, we're going to look at whether or not we have true friendship with all the various elements in our lives. Do we have friendship with the planet? Do we have friendship with each other? Do we have friendship with our bodies, with our minds, with our senses, and so on? It's a huge topic. But I, I want to begin with us. To what extent are we friends? I mean, really, it seems obvious, you know, of course we're friends. There is a mutual enriching by the way that we, we come together here. There is a setup that makes sure that we all come away with something in relationship to each other. But that doesn't recognize the difference between friendship and maybe a business relationship. Do we have friendship or do we have a form of mutual exchange, merely enriching? but not at the the deepest level. I have a mutually enriching relationship with McDonald's. (laughs) I give them $5, and that enriches them. And they give me a cheeseburger, and that enriches me. But it's not enrichment at the deepest level. It's merely an exchange of goods and services. For it to be an exchange at the deepest level, there would need to be something from my soul and something coming from the soul of McDonald's and an exchange on the deepest level which would be mutually beneficial. Now, McDonald's do not want that and neither do I. We are content with an exchange of goods and services. And to some extent, we have to look at our relationship in that light? Is it merely an exchange of goods and services, or is there something of the soul in it, something from the spiritual and emotional part of themselves? You know, and so I come back to us here. To what extent is our relationship here a friendship relationship? And I don't just mean me and you, but I mean all of us here together. To what extent is our relationship A friendship one. Is our relationship based on an exchange of goods and services or is it something of the soul? Now I can hear you shouting, well, you know, of course it's the soul. (laughs) Of course, you know, what else would it be? But when you look carefully, there is very much an exchange of goods and services going on here. I get paid to do this. You come here 
for what you receive. That might be spiritual stand-up. It might be a talk. It might be the music or to meet other people or whatever. You give money, probably. You get what you're looking for. And, you know, we all go away happy. And although there might be said to be a touching of souls, I wonder whether or not there is a deeper level of support and encouragement to an end that is mutually enriching. Something to consider. I mean, you know, I've been quite lucky all my life. Um, You know, I just did my mum's funeral, and there was someone at the funeral who I was at high school with. And, you know, I was able to have friends at high school. Uh, I had friends in college. Um, I had friends in, in, in the work life I had. I had friends in my seminary training. I've always had friends until I became a minister. (laughs) And suddenly my ability to make friends stopped. Um, And, you know, I I hear this from other ministers too, when you talk to ministers. It's something you you do here. Um, And I'm not sure if it's because people think that they they can't swear around us. You know, they're quite worried about (laughs) saying... In front of us, or because they think that I'll always be talking, we'll always be talking about God. Uh, but in the last 20 years, I've been a minister at three different locations. I could probably, you know, count the people I call friends on maybe one or, or two hands. And, you know, that's, that's a small number. When you become a minister, we have an expression in England, you suddenly become a, a, a Billy No Mates. Do you have that expression? He's a Billy no mates. <laughs> He's got no friends, you know. Billy, the name, no mates. So, so you become a Billy no mates. Um, and I'm not sure why that is, but I suspect it's something to do with boundaries on both sides. And even with there being a clear definition between the exchange of goods and services that's allowable, from the minister's side, it's about allowing people to come close enough for ministry but not too close to their personal lives. You know, you want them. And from the congregation perspective, it's allowing the minister close in the moment, but not so close as to come in to the way that they run their lives. You know, I'll come and chat to you, but then leave it to me after that. You know, confession in the Catholic Church is a good example of that. I'll tell you what I've done to the priest. You give me absolution and something to do, but let me get on with my life until I come back for my next confession. You know, there's a sort of... And from the minister's perspective, it's let's meet at the level of our souls, but remember, this is not about me. It's about you. I represent God. Please leave me out of this personally. And so you can see sort of how that works. There's a sense of our relationship being an exchange. And, you know, it can be the same in, in other areas. I mean, I'm going to make a wild generalization here now, but, uh, you know, I do, I travel back to England and I, I travel around Europe. And as a foreigner, I can say that one of the things people say about Americans is that they're very easy to get on with on the surface. But it takes years before they will invite you into their hearts. There's a guardedness about the way that we relate to each other. And I say we because after nearly nine years, I do see myself as an honorary American, although I haven't taken the oath of allegiance. Um, 
It might be something about the need to protect ourselves in an environment that was originally hostile. Both the terrain and the population in early American history were very harsh, and therefore there was a need to get on with people on the surface, but also a need to protect our homes and our families from harm, which can make for a certain wariness. And while there's an exchange of goods and services, and I'm willing to get involved for our mutual enrichment, I still need to be careful of who I let over the threshold of my home. There's a sort of permanent traveler's ethos going on, where the stranger is potentially both the source, a source of enrichment, but also of harm. So, buyer beware. And I think there's a possibility that that's going on. And that leaves us looking, really, at how we relate to each other here. Are we exchanging goods or services, or does it go to a deeper level than that? And if it could go to a deeper level, how might that look? And I think it's good to, to, to review it, to, to consider it, to look at how I'm relating to the people that I'm essentially in community with. I think we have that lovely definition of community from Scott Peck. Um, and I've used this before. I mean, you know, you've heard many, all of this before, but never mind. Scott Peck says that community means a, a group of individuals who've learned to communicate honestly with each other, whose relationship goes deeper than their masks of composure, and have developed some significant commitment to rejoice together, mourn together, delight in each other, and think of each other as we think of ourselves. I think that's a lovely definition of community. And for us, for us all to be truly friends, we have to be engaged at the deepest level of support and encouragement to an end that is mutually enriching. And the, and the way that we, we, the reason we think about these things, the reason we look about the truth of our relationships and the truth of anything is so that we can have an opportunity to transform them. Because unless something is revealed in ourselves, we can't transform it. All we can do is, or we're unconscious of it. And I think that means getting beyond this being an exchange of goods and services, whether that be money or spiritual insight or brief companionship, I'm talking about with us now, or food or whatever. We have to let, between us all here, the bargaining side of our relationships drop away and move into the loving side of our relationships where we're not putting each other in a box. And you know the boxes we put each other in. Uh, you know, you're the minister and let's just keep it that way. <laughs> we might describe someone as nice, but a bit of a handful. So let's not let them be too close. Another person you might think, trouble. Steer clear. Another box has connections, could be useful. Has money, could be useful. Has no money, look out. Friendly, but high maintenance, beware. 
good for a laugh for 10 minutes. Someone I can confide in, but let's not say too much. Attractive. Hmm. So we do put people in these different boxes. And with friendship, the relationship goes deeper than the masks of our composure. And we're open to each other at the deepest level, the level of the soul. And you know, the dangerous thing about that is you can't control it. When you're open at the level of the soul, when you let the soul in, when you let the heart in, the ground of all being, the divine nature, it can take you in any direction. With true friendship, anything's possible. And that's scary. Like you can't control yourself when you fall in love. You know what it's like. You can't control yourself when you fall in love. It just takes over. I always, you know, people think, well, I don't want to, you know, go into the God business because I don't want to be a missionary and I don't want to end up in Africa. You know, you think you, these things stop you from, you know, the fears of what might happen if you really let go and allow yourself to be taken somewhere. When you let soul into the relationship, when you truly become friends, you can't control that either. It has a life of its own that's not of the mind. You can't predict what's going to happen, which is why we like to keep things at the level of exchange. It's safer and it's easier. But it's also without love. When you become true friends, the danger is that you will want to give with no expectation of return, to love. And that opens you up to being taken advantage of. So we prefer not to. So I want to encourage you to let your soul into your relationship, to look at your relationships and think how much of them are exchange about methods of exchange and how much is of the soul. And turn those relationships into friendship. Let your soul into a relationship with me and turn that into a friendship where there is no control or an expectation of an exchange. Let your soul into relationships with each other and then see how you become more supported, more encouraged and more enriched. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.